Good morning. Welcome, everybody. The Lord is so good. I love that praise and worship time with the Lord. I'd also like to say good morning to everyone watching online today. Thanks so much for, for tuning in today. Well, we've, we've completed 14 of our, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And, and I just want to ask you, yeah, that's, that's something to cheer about, <laughs> believe me. Um, how many of you feel hungrier for God? All right. All right. That makes it all worth it right there. How many of you have seen God starting to move in your life and in your circumstances? Amen. Hallelujah. Next Sunday is what we call Testimony Sunday, and we dedicate that whole service to bragging on God and to thanking God and to encouraging the body, encouraging us with all the things that God's done. And so I really want to encourage all of you to pray about that next Sunday and, and pray and, and ask the Lord what, what you need to testify about, what you need to encourage the body with, okay? So I want everyone to be open to that. And some of you, that kind of scares you a little bit, but that's okay. We all are, uh, everyone here uh, loves each other. Is that true? And, uh, and, you know, sometimes we think that, well, you know, my, my testimony is just, it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, it's just a little small thing. You know, how many of you know that anything God does is a big deal? Anything he does is a big deal, you know? And so, well, I, you know, I just kind of heard for the first time that God loved me, you know? And we sing about that all the time, so that's not a big deal. The creator of all things... The Most High God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Amen. says that He loves you, and that's not a big deal. <laughs> Come on, there's nothing too small. There is nothing too small to encourage the body with. So, so I want you to think about that. I want you to pray for some courage for those of you that need courage, and um, and and please tell us what God's done. And, and encourage us with that. So that's going to be next Sunday. You know, this is two weeks into the fast. We have one week left. And, and I know that there's some of you that, that might not have participated in the fast. And, and you feel disappointed about that. Okay. And, and so what I want to say to you is that it's never too late. It's never too late to make a decision to come close to God. It's never too late for that. It's never too late to believe for a miracle and to see a breakthrough in your life. It's not too late, right? Um, and, and let's be really clear. Let's be really clear this morning. God does not need 21 days to do anything. He doesn't need 21 days to do anything, Okay. He can change hearts and lives in a moment. Is that true? He, he created all the heavens and the earth in six days. So we know he can do a lot in a week. But, but let's be clear again. He didn't need six days to do that. 
He chose to do that in six days because he has purpose in everything that he does. But let's think about that for a moment. God can create new worlds this week for you that didn't exist before. It's never too late. It's never too late. So don't feel bad. Stop kicking yourself. Start kicking the devil. It's never too late. Okay? Decide to do something you've never done before. And you'll see God do something that you've never seen before or even thought possible. Because our God is the God of the impossible. Amen? All right. So last week, we began talking about targeting our fast. We began to, to kind of narrow our aim with our fast. And so we started to look at different biblical fasts. The first one was the freedom fast. From, and we talked about that from Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, that's that, it's, it's the fasting chapter. And God tells us specifically, this is why I created fasting. This is the purpose of it. And, and he says in Isaiah 58 verse 6, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of the injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. So God's saying there is a power available to us when we fast and we pray that can free us from all bondages of sin and demonic oppression. How many of you know that Jesus is the champion? That Jesus is the bondage breaker. And I can't wait to hear about the chains that God broke this fast next week. I can't wait. Okay, number two, we talked about the Ezra fast. So this fast is about getting uh, a targeting solutions and answers to some of the problems in your life that you simply just don't have an answer to. Right? Isaiah 58, 9 says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he'll say, Here I am. How many of you know that we can target big problems because we have a big, bigger God? <laughs> Amen. Then number three, we talked about the Esther fast. And so this is a fast that targets protection and safety, protection from an enemy whose purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But God's purpose is that we have life and life to the abundant. Isaiah 58, 8 says, Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Right? So this is a fast that declares there are more of those with us than against us. This fast releases the heavenly host, God's angels, to carry, our, to carry out our protection, our safety, our soundness, and our preservation. All right. And so now we're going to talk about five more biblical fasts. Are you ready to go? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for your presence here. We just thank you. We just take time right now and just thank you for being here, Lord, for being real, for being present, for caring, for being faithful, for being kind, for being gracious, for loving us. Just thank you so much, Lord, for that. And God, I just pray now that we just that we just hear the voice of the Lord, that we just um, are in tune, that our, our spirits, our souls 
are undistracted and we're just uh, sensitive and aware and ready to receive from you. And, uh, and I, we just pray that we hear your voice today, good God. Whatever, whatever um, is said, that we hear your voice in Jesus' name, specifically for each one of us here, no matter where we're at, no matter where we're at with you, you've got something to say to each one of us. And I just pray that we hear that today, that we're encouraged today, that we're not going to leave this place the same way that we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, uh, Pastor Andrew, would you mind grabbing me a, a water? I am really dry up here. I can hardly lick my lips. All right. So number four uh, is called the widow's fast. The widow's fast. And this comes from 1 Kings chapter 17. So in 1 Kings 17, just the whole uh, land is in the midst of a terrible drought, uh, a terrible famine. Um, <clears throat> there's little to no food. Thank you, Pastor. People are, are starving to death. Um, in fact, this, this uh, drought, it actually lasts for three and a half years. And I think in 1 Kings 17, many scholars think it's about six months to a year into the drought. And so God sends Elijah to the house of a widow in Zarephath. And he asks her to prepare him a meal, okay, which is incredibly bold in this time of drought and famine. And the widow said that she only has enough food for one last meal for her and her son, and then they're going to die. And they're just going to starve to death because there's nothing left. And uh, so Elijah boldly insists, <laughs> I mean, this, this guy, you know, boldly insists that she first gives him the meal. And so the widow chooses to fast. She chooses to give up her meal so someone else could eat that was in need. She chooses to put someone else first, and, and so she gives Elijah her last meal. And so the widow's fast is about meeting the humanitarian needs of other people while fasting. Okay, and so it's to give, it's to give the food that you would have for a meal or, or, or uh, the, the uh, food that you'd have for, for meals for an entire day or or meals for an entire week. And you would give that food during, during a widow's fast. You'd give that food to people in need. So maybe you'd, take, you'd buy groceries for a week, but you'd take that to the community fridges that we donate to. Or you'd take that to the men's and the women's shelter. Okay, this is, this is the widow's fast. In Isaiah 58, in verse 7. And remember, this is, this is, this is the purpose. Of, of fasting that God set up for fasting. It is not to share, is, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Okay, and so the widow's fast helps us to understand a little bit what it's like for all the people in the world, all the people in Regina that go to bed every night with empty tummies. Helps us to understand what that feels like. Okay? And when, when we do that, it helps us to be thankful and grateful. I think the widow's fast makes us grateful that at any given time, we have a choice to eat. How many of us take that for granted, do you think? Right? That whenever we want to eat and what we want to eat, we just got to open the fridge. 
And we don't even think that there's a lot of people that don't have that same choice. Right? And so this, this helps us to become thankful and, and have a greater gratitude for what God's given us. But the widow fast also teaches us about a very important principle of giving, which is the principle of the first. Okay, so I just want to read this to you. This, this is in 1 Kings 17, verse 13 to 15. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make a small cake from it first and give it to me. And afterward, make some food for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This is an incredible miracle, right? This didn't just happen while Elijah was there, but this happened for the duration of the drought. So potentially two, two and a half years, God supernaturally provided for the widow and her household. That's an incredible miracle, okay? So Elijah, let's understand this. Elijah, he's, he's the man of God. He represents God, okay? So when the widow gave to Elijah, she's giving to God. And once the widow gave the first to God, then, then there was supernatural provision. Then the flower didn't run out and the oil didn't run dry. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. It says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Why? So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Someone said wine? <laughs> We're called to honor God. I don't know why that's, I don't know why I said that. I'm, gonna st I'm sticking to my notes for the rest of this. Why do I do that? Like I'm insinuating there's alcoholics here or something. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. But we're called to honor God with the first of the increase. Who do you honor with the first of your increase? Who do you honor with the first? Think about it. When you get increase, payday comes. Who do you honor first? Is it the government? Is it the credit card company? Is it the cell phone company? Is it a superstore? Is it Fat Burger? <laughs> Who do you honor first? Or is it God? Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 to 10 says, Will a man rob God? God says, yet you've robbed me. That should get our attention. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, you've robbed, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be no, that there will not be uh, room enough to receive it. 
So God did, and, and so let's understand this. God did not send Elijah to the widow for the widow to provide for Elijah. God sent Elijah to the widow so God could provide for the widow. Right? God didn't need this poor woman to provide for Elijah. He just caused ravens to bring him bread and meat before he came to the widow. He was already full when he asked for the meal. Right? But the widow and her son are about to die, so God wanted to give her an opportunity to honor him. And watch this. If she said no and refused to give the first, then she would have robbed God of an opportunity to bless her and provide for her. That's what we rob God of. We rob him of opportunity to love on his kids and to provide for his kids. God wants to provide supernaturally for you, but you need to first honor him. Okay, moving on. That was number four, the widow's fast. Number five is the Daniel fast. How many of you have participated in a Daniel fast before? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Okay. And so this is a fast that, that targets health and healing. Okay, it comes from Daniel chapter 10. And, and so this is when the Jews are in Babylonian captivity under, under King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? And, and Daniel challenges the, the king's men to a little contest. And, and he says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat healthy food. You go ahead, you keep eating your rich fatty foods, and we're going to see who's healthier at the end. And, um, and so they did that for 10 days. Uh, one translation says Daniel only ate vegetables and drank water. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel said his friends were, Daniel and his friends <laughs> were stronger, healthier, more energetic. Their countenance was brighter. Right? And so this fast, this is what this fast involves. It's no meat, no sweets, no breads. So it's horrible. And it's drinking only water, only water for 21 days. Like, who thinks this stuff up? The Lord did. So this fast not only cleans you out and makes, you, makes your body healthier, okay, but this is also, this is a habit breaking, habit changing fast, okay? And so if you're tired of, of being ruled by cupcakes and bacon, um, then, then this fast helps to break control, okay? And so, the, and so during this fast, we're not just praying that, that we make healthy choices during the fast, but that, that this is going to be our life. We're going to make healthy choices for the entire year, Okay? Some of you are looking at me like, let's move on. <laughs> um, but this, this is also a fast for healing. Okay? And so I think when you, when you decide to do the Daniel fast, you're also, you're also making a decision that you're not going to tolerate sickness in your body anymore. Um, many of us have lots of pain and sickness in our bodies. 
And so when you choose this, you're saying, I'm not going to tolerate that anymore. I'm going to target that. And, and the Bible says in Isaiah 58, and this is the fasting chapter, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Okay. How many, I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you know that, that we can believe in healing the same way we can believe for forgiveness of sin? Is that right? You're forgiven in Jesus. You are healed in Jesus. Psalm 103, verse 2 to 3 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits, forgive, sorry, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. These are both benefits of our salvation because they're both finished works of the cross. Well, a lot of Christians don't understand this. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You know, in Isaiah 53 there, that word griefs is translated sickness. That's what that word griefs mean. It actually means sickness. 20 out of 24 times in the Old Testament, that word griefs is used. In 20 of the 24, it, it is translated sickness. And in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it's translated sickness. He's bore our sickness. And this is confirmed. Matthew confirms this in Matthew chapter 8. He says, when evening came, many people controlled by demons were brought to Jesus. He drove out the spirits with a word. He healed all who were sick. This happened so that what Isaiah the prophet had said would come true. He had said he'd suffered these things. We should have suffered. He took on himself the sicknesses, it says in Matthew, that should have been ours. And New King James Version says he himself took our infirmities and bore our Sickness. So Jesus bore our sickness the same way that he bore our sin. They're both finished works of the cross. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus forgives all of your sin? Do you believe that? You should. Do you believe that God wants you to be forgiven? Absolutely. Do you believe you are clean by the blood of the lamb? Absolutely. Why do you believe that? Because we know that Jesus took all of our sin to the cross. He paid the penalty of our sin, broke the power of sin through his blood. So now we don't have to pay the penalty of sin or live under the power of sin because Jesus paid the price with his blood. And so in the same way, you can confidently answer those questions about forgiveness. You can do the same with all of your sickness. You can believe that God wants you to be healed. How many of you believe God wants you to be well? And you can know that you're healed by the blood of the lamb. By his stripes, his shed blood, we are healed. He paid the penalty of sickness. He broke the power of sickness so we can be well. And so we don't have to tolerate Sickness in our life, just like we don't have to tolerate sin in our life. Target that sickness. Daniel, the Daniel fast is coming into agreement with the finished works 
of healing and health, the finished works of the cross. All right, number six is the Samuel fast. The Samuel fast. This is about national and personal revival. So in 1 Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant is taken from Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant contained the presence of God. Okay, and of course we all know that because of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Or else, how else would we know that? And so when Samuel takes over... Okay, the first thing that Samuel does is he declares a fast so that, he can, so that Israel can get back the presence of God. And so the Samuel fast, it targets bringing back the presence of God into our lives. It's about national and personal revival. This fast makes us alive again in Jesus. It revives us from the doldrums. How many of you have ever heard that expression before? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the doldrums right now. Has anyone heard that before? Right? And so when someone's in the doldrums, it's, it's, it's describing, you know, the, the, the state of their, their soul. And it's someone who's in a rut. They're in a slump. They're lifeless. They're stagnant. They're depressed. They're restless. They're stuck. Okay? Uh, have you ever felt that way before? I've felt that way before. And so in sailing terms, the doldrums, it's like, it's this, it's this uh, windless dead zone. And so once ships got into this dead zone, they were stuck there. And they couldn't go anywhere, like, like the sa- sailing ships. And they were stuck there until storms came and forced them to wreck. Okay, it was more feared than the Bermuda Triangle at one time, right? The, the doldrums. And, and so some of you might have drifted spiritually into the doldrums. You know, that place where we just, you know, we, we're just going through motions, you know. And we, we go to church and we, we try to pray and, and we try to read the Bible, but there's just no life. There's no passion. There's no, there's no fire. There's no zeal anymore. And, and we just feel spiritually dead and your prayer life and your relationship with God is dry and, and you just can't hear his voice anymore. Have you ever been there before? So the answer to the doldrums is the life-giving presence of God. It's to go into the most holy place. His presence, it revives us. It gives life to our soul. It, it brings fire from heaven to our spirit. It renews us. It gives us new hope and new perspective and new purpose and new passion in his presence. And, and, you know, there's lots of signs. There's a lot of signs that tell us when we need revival, when we need, when we need to be revived and made alive again. You know, nationally, I think, I think our nation needs revival especially as the church, when we can be so easily divided. We can be divided so easily by race or gender or vaccines. (laughs) We need revival. Right? We need revival as a nation, as as the church, when, when we've just lost our identity. 
when there's tremendous confusion about who we are, when, and, and when we, we further try to confuse our children, when we, we don't know our identity, we don't even know if we're a boy or a girl. We need revival. Personally, we need revival. We need that personal revival when, when we've forgotten our first love, when we just get busy, when everything else seems to take priority over God, even ministry, when we start collecting idols on our shelves, when the, the things of this world start to replace God on the throne of our hearts, when the first thing we turn to in the morning is our cell phone instead of him. We need revival. We need revival when the stones cry out in worship because we're not. When we forget the very reason we exist is to hallow his name. When his name loses worth and value in our hearts. When worship becomes entertainment and we'd rather complain about it than participate in it. When worship becomes about us instead of him. When we become too dignified to express our love for God and worship. When singing and dancing and raising our hands. When it doesn't fit our doctrine and our theology anymore. And we think we've outgrown it. And we think now we know better. We need revival. When we lose tremble of God in our lives. When we lose our holy fear of God, when we become too familiar with him, when we don't awe and wonder at his glory, when we fear man more than we fear God, when we don't treat his word with reverence, when we obey him, when it's convenient, we stop loving what God loves and hating what God hates, when we tolerate sin in our life. We need revival. How about this one? We need revival when we got calluses on our butts instead of our knees. We stop praying when we're more hungrier for a sandwich than his presence. When we're no longer as the deer that pants for living water and longs for God. When we stop standing in the gap, but we just are content every evening, night after night, sitting on the couch, watching TV, instead of on our knees in intercession for the lost and for our kids and for the church and for this nation. We need revival. We need revival when you've got an indifferent apathetic attitude toward the house of God. I remember Leon Fontaine really turned me on to this verse. Psalm 84, verse 10. Lots of us know the first part of it. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Who knows the next line? I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God. NLT says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper at the house of my God than live the good life of this world. I'd rather just stand at the door of the house of God than have anything that this world offers. That's what that's saying. 
when we lose zeal and passion for the house of God, when our hearts no longer cry out like David in Psalm 27, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. It's when we come to church and we've got that attitude, yeah, I've seen this all before. And there's no expectation and there's no anticipation and there's no desperation to meet, to have an encounter with the most high God, with the lover of our soul. Or we come to church and the seats are full, but the altars are empty. And we can't remember the last time that we came out of the aisle with our tears wet and tears rolling down our cheeks coming to the altar with our hands raised and a repentant heart. And we don't remember what it's like to be broken before the Lord. Joel chapter 2 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. It's when we won't humble ourselves, when our hearts don't break for the things that break his heart because we're too full of pride and selfishness. That's when we need revival. Revive us, O oh Lord. Revive us, O oh Lord. Revive us, O oh Lord. Number seven is Paul's fast. And so this fast is based in Acts chapter 9 when, when Paul was still Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. On his way to Damascus, Jesus knocked him off his feet. I used to say Jesus knocked him off his horse until Brother Bridal said, show me that in the Bible. <laughs> and sure enough, it does not say anything about a horse. <laughs> but we just assume, I guess, that he was on a horse. But now I say Jesus knocked him off his feet. And so Saul became Paul. He entered into a three-day fast that gave him new direction for the rest of his life. It changed. His life changed because he fasted for three days. And so Paul's fast, this fast is about targeting major decisions that are going to have a major impact on the rest of your life. It's about seeking God's will and God's purpose for your life. It's allowing God to direct your steps. Jeremiah 10, 23 says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. This is about getting the line, getting in line with God's direction for your steps. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This fast is about acknowledging him. Right? And, and so it's about, it's about saying, God, what, what's, your, what's your purpose for me with, with my relationships? What's your purpose for me? Uh, who, who am I supposed to marry? Who am I supposed to date? Right, God, I'm going to let you direct those steps. 
Uh, it, it's, you know, God, should I move to this city or that city? Or should I stay here? Uh, should, you know, it, it's, God, what's your will for my career? What's your will for my job? Should I change jobs? Should I keep this job? Right? Where, where to go to school? Where to go to post-secondary, Regina or Alberta? And, of course, Regina is the right answer. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about... It's about, I'm just kidding, it's about ministry change. Should I start a ministry or end a ministry? My daughter's considering going to Alberta for school next year, so. That's what my fast is about. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. Isaiah 58, 8 says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. See, we, we can target these major decisions in fasting, and God is going to supernaturally lead us and show us his will. His light is going to break forth uh, dawn and, and break through the darkness. It breaks through the confusion. It breaks through the cloudiness, the murkiness that might surround the decision. That's what this fast targets, and his light is going to break through that, right? And so now you can clearly see, clearly see his will. And his purpose for your life. Paul clearly saw the purpose for his life. And it was, it was like, it was transformation. Right? It's opening yourself up to transformation. This fast. Um, and then we're moving on here. Last one. John chapter 8. And so this is John the Baptist fast. Um, we know that John the Baptist fasted often. He was on a restricted diet of locust and honey. And so this fast, you're only allowed to eat grasshoppers, but you, you can also dip them in honey. No, that's not what this is. But, but he, had, he was on a Nazarite diet, which means no alcohol. So all those people that got excited when I said wine, I'm sorry, this is, this is no alcohol diet. John chapter 1 and verse 6 to 7 says... There came a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came to witness that he might testify of the light, capital L. Who's that talking about? Jesus, that all men might believe in it, adhere to it, trust it, and rely upon it through him. So he had tremendous influence, John the Baptist, was a tremendous witness for Jesus. He paved the way for Jesus to come. And Jesus, you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said there was no man born greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that incredible? And so this fast makes us, uh, it makes us saltier and it makes us brighter. How many of you know that you're salt and light in Jesus Christ? And, and so a salty Christian makes people thirsty for the gospel of Jesus. Right? And, and so this fast makes us saltier. It makes us, it makes, it makes us so that we come into contact with people and now people after after experiencing the Jesus that's in us they start getting thirsty for Jesus too we, we because we're salty right we're like we're just a bunch of pretzels okay and and we're also light as light right the light in us is Jesus so so because we have that light we're able to go into dark places and be a reflector of Jesus and his glory the light that's inside us. And so this fast is about increasing our passion and our commitment for the Great Commission. Okay? And, and honestly, I think this is probably something that we need to target often in our fasts. 
Um, it increases our favor with people, and it widens our circle of influence. Okay? It, great, it brings a greater sense of urgency for the lost. We begin to see people the way God sees people. And so, and, and so in this fast, the lost begin to matter to us. And I'm not proud to say, but I go through lots of days where I don't think the lost matters to me. I don't know if you feel that ever. And so, and so this brings a greater sense of urgency. This fast wakes us up to the reality that every day people are going to heaven and people are going to hell. Romans 13 always wakes me up. Besides this, you know what a critical hour this is. How it is high time now for you to wake up out of your sleep. Rouse to reality. For salvation, final deliverance is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is almost here. Let us then drop the works and deeds of darkness and put the full armor of light on. <laughs> I didn't say that right. Wake us up, O oh Lord. Revive us, O oh Lord. Wake us up, O oh Lord. Amen. Wake us up, O oh Lord. Amen. What I'd like to do is I'd like to, to close our service the same way we did last week. I'd like our worship team to come forward. Uh, our prayer team, I'd like to invite them to come forward as well. And so prayer team, if you could come up right now too. And, uh, <clears throat> and so if you would like if you'd like someone to agree with you, okay, in prayer team, um, yeah, okay. If you'd like someone to agree with you in prayer, and so maybe you'd like to target a freedom fast, or you'd like to target uh, a John the Baptist fast, or, or a Daniel fast, whatever it is, but you need some help with that, you need some encouragement, you need someone to build you up, uh, maybe, maybe you need specific, something specific to be prayed for, Okay, our prayer team is happy to pray with you. The rest of us, let's just spend some time with the Lord, okay, as the worship team plays. And so you can stand, you can sit, you can come to the altar, whatever you want to do. But let's just spend some time with the Lord, engage with him, and let's hear what he has to say about this last week of fasting. Okay.